The sound engineer is ready. The musicians are set. And I see a record made. Well, before the recordings, uh, you went to the band shell. You uh, perhaps had a parlor piano and a daughter, a niece, a, an aunt. Uh, your mother played, played piano. Uh, you went to the vaudeville house. You went to the opera house. You went to the concert stage. Um, that's where you heard music. Or you went to the bar or, or the barn dance. That's, that's where music was. It was not inside your home. The engineer mixes the sound to achieve the best musical balance in the record. My name is Scott Holtus and I'm owner of Vintage Music Company. We specialize in 78 RPM records, cylinders, restoration of phonographs, turntables, antique radios, combinations, etc. From the turn of the century up until 1948, you had no choice. You had 78s. So 78 spins at 78 rotations per minute. 33 spins at 33 rotations per minute. And the little 45, which supplanted the 78 as a single, uh, spins at 45 rotations per minute. And that's got the big hole. The vibrations of sound brought from the microphones pass through this cutting head to the stylus. The stylus, in turn, cuts the vibrations in the soft wax, records the poetic tones forever. How did you fall in love with 78s? Oh, egad. I guess it would have started with, uh, my mom and dad had 78s, and I wasn't allowed to use the uh, console upstairs, so there was, in the basement, there was an, an old record player. <laughs> and I started listening to their old country and western records. I can settle down and be doing just fine till I hear an And then most of them got broken, but then I, was, I also lived at the time with my grandmother to take care of her, and she had uh, a about three dozen left, left 78s left over. And I listened to those. Well, then Aunt Marion gave me hers. And then Aunt Ellen gave me hers. And then the neighbor's mother gave me theirs. And then I found the Salvation Army because I wanted to find the records that I had broken that, that were mom and dad's because I really liked those songs. And so I tried to find new ones. And mom said, well, Don Leary might have them. But Don Leary had stopped stocking used 78s many years previous. So the Salvation Army and the Goodwill became my friend. And I, on my little bicycle, I'd go be going down constantly and spending my hard-earned uh, lawn mowing money and buying 10-cent records. And by the time I was 10, I think I had 5,078. How about my 78 player from Scott more than a decade ago? I'm not much of a collector, other than the 100 or so popular 78s that Scott gave me when I bought the player. A common practice for him, the most popular 78s aren't worth much. I've only bought a handful of records over the years. 
But on the rare occasions when I'd stop in vintage music to buy a Hank Williams or an Ernest Tubb record, I was intrigued. When were 78s popular? What kinds of music were recorded on 78s? How did Scott and others fall in love with music from an era before they were born? So what did music recorded on 78s mean to Americans? In 1921, one record company, the Thomas A. Edison Company, asked customers why they liked their machines. Our little son, a year old, often during the day, points till I put a piece on for him. Our two little girls love the dance pieces. We love our machines so much. If we had to part with any piece of furniture in our home, we would give our bed up before we would part with our Edison. Some people reported listening to religious songs like Rock of Ages as a way of remembering a dead relative. One woman wrote this. I really can't find words strong enough to express my love for my Edison. I have had my life made worth living since it came into my home. I am a poor widow with five children. My husband died two years ago this month. My baby was only 10 days old. I know the comfort this invention has given me is beyond explanation. It is the best tonic I have ever had. From this room, the records go out to all parts of the world to bring joy and pleasure to millions of music lovers, to give them permanently the music they want when they want it. My name is Jared Lear, and I have an experience with Scott, the awesome guy who fixed my turntables for me. So my dad had this turntable that he got in like 1973 and growing up I I was used to just play records on it and then when I was 16 or 17 I decided that I was going to take it so I moved it out to my room and started building my record collection from there and when I moved out I took the turntables with me because my dad never used it and it lasted until about I was about five or six years and the automatic start and stop stopped working. So I took it to the needle doctor, and they took one look at me and said, we are not going to fix that. We have no idea what that's even all about. So I I went to the vintage music company on 38th and Cedar that that my friend told me about. And I walked in there carrying my really heavy giant turntables. My first reaction was, where am I going to set this thing down? Every inch of counter space was completely taken up. I looked over to my left and saw uh, thousands doesn't even begin to describe the amount of 78s that I saw. Just walls and shelves completely stacked, overflowing, on the floor, piled up. 
I mean, this is a big space that he has, and apparently he has a, I think he said they had a basement or at least another back room that was completely full of records. And how many do you have now? I would say, I don't know, uh, three quarter million? At a guess, half a million? 1.5 million? they break, <laughs> so, uh, so and I give them away and they come in in huge quantities and then I get rid of them in huge quantities and so I have no clue. So I, I more or less, when I'm doing my taxes, and I shouldn't say this on, on an interview, but when I'm doing my taxes, I just, that, well, this is how much I bought and I probably still have 10% of that, so <laughs> that's my inventory. But just, I've never seen that many records before and they were all 78s and just the smell of it, the dust, from like collection of years and years of just hanging hanging around. So how would you describe the smell? Musty, but pleasantly comfortable. It didn't smell like gross and moldy or anything. It, it, it smelled old and just like a record store, but really a lot more potent than your average record store. I had been managing a hardware store, but I was a music major in college, and so hardware was supposed to be a, a means to pay for my education. By the time I got you know, three-quarter through college, I'm going, there isn't really a, a practical application for this. Well, maybe I should just stick to hardware. That would have almost been my career had the store not sold, and I was out without a job for a while, and one of my roommates said, well, why don't you do something with records? They're, they're, you always go over to Lee's 78 shop and you, you buy 78s over there and why don't you just buy the store from them? And I just went, oh, okay, why not? That's how it started, is I bought off Lee's 78 shop, uh, which had like 20,000 records and two record players and a jukebox. And all on a contract for deed and I had just enough money to uh, have first and last month's rent in an awful building on Lake Street and hung my shingle. He was a shorter guy with this almost wild look in his eye. I would say almost mad scientist-like, but I don't want to you know, do him any like discredit. He's a really amazing, wonderful guy, but he had that sort of mad scientist look, look to him where you knew that he, there, there was something going on upstairs, nothing evil, or conniving, just genius. Thanks everyone for coming down to the 78 RPM Summit. We've got a bunch of DJs here all playing different kinds of stuff, different kinds of turntables, different kinds of music. The Minneapolis 78 record scene got a boost in recent years when a pair of collectors started something they called the 78 RPM Summit. The 78 RPM Summit was started by Jerry Brownig and Greg Carr. Jerry goes by the name Pepper Patriot. Greg is known by the moniker Mr. Gosh. Each has his own strange collection of machines and records. I checked in with Greg first. Uh, my name is Greg Carr. We're currently in my house in the kitchen on South Minneapolis, live in what's known as the Kingfield neighborhood. What do you have down in the basement? Uh, media. It's uh, kind of my... Uh, Media rumpus room. It's a um, lot of records, a lot of books, old equipment. But you have a lot of 78s down there. Yeah, several, about 500 plus. Let's go take a look. Let's go take a look. So, right. 
It's very cold down here. I don't know where I picked up this record, but I'd mentioned the store vintage music company, Scott's Place. I was able to go in and it's like, hey, Scott, you know, you ever heard of LMA Morse? He's like, yeah, you know, down there on the floor, there's a box behind the shelf. Well, sure enough, there's maybe 16 records in there. is a woman by the name of Ella Mae Morse, who uh, I think was maybe 15 or 16 when she's doing this incredibly cool hep scat talking. Um, played with a guy named from actually Viroqua, Wisconsin, by the name of Freddie Slack, who's playing piano. But she was uh, forced to be reckoned with. I mean, just cool, hip, gorgeous. I mean, she looked like a like a 40s um, pinup girl. When I like heard this, I was just like, she just called this guy homie. And this is from 1940. How about you and me going spinning at the track? What's that, homie? If you think I'm going dancing on a dime, your clock is ticking on the wrong time. Well, what's your pleasure, treasure? You call the plays, I'll dig the ways. Hey, daddy I'm not so crude as to drop my mood on a square from way back. I'm in there and have to dig life with father, and I mean father's luck. Well, baby, your play gives my wig a solid flip. You snap the whip, I'll make the trip. Well, if the two boots I will bloom on down to a knockout shack on the edge of town. There's an eight-feet combo that just won't quit. Keep walking in This is the kind of thing I think they should teach in history classes. Because I grew up, I mean, I have a broad love of different styles of music, so loved big band music and swing stuff. That's what this is. But my parents would have never had this record. You know, you didn't hear this on the beautiful music stations or the jazz stations in the 70s or 60s. But I think more people would be into it if they could hear this. Um, I like finding out about these people, and I'll pursue it and read about it, but I'm not one of the people that's like, oh, what, you know, number record is this, or this record, it's not the real label, so I don't want it. I'm more interested in records because I want to listen to them. When I got my first player, which is the one back there, the Zenith Cobramatic, um, found it in an antique store in Duluth, and he was like, well, you know, everyone gets a free record, you know, choose one. And I was going around and found a box of Japanese records. And uh, I think it was Tokyo Boogie Woogie. I was like, what? And he was like, okay, you know, and took it home. And again, it was like just one of those worlds that you never, I never knew existed. And so one of my favorite sub-collections, there's about 50 Japanese records that um, the last one, say, made in occupied Japan. So this is Tokyo Boogie Woogie by Shizuku Kasagi or something like that. And uh, I like to listen, I can't really speak. Definitely made for Western Army 
service people stationed in Japan. And with these records, you hear the slow influence of Western styles. But, One of the things that really endeared me to this is she's saying bougie uji because phonetically she can't say boogie woogie. And so she's singing Japanese, it's this swing tune or this boogie tune, and it's just like, what's going on here? But this led to some amazing finds. Okay, this is a, what I'm going to play next is a much older one. The label is entirely in Japanese. This is a Victor, like RCA Victor. Um, but so a while ago, it's like, okay, I'm actually going to sit down and listen to all these. And it was really fun. It's like this, middle of winter, and you don't want to go anywhere. It's, again, devote maybe four or five hours and sit down and listen to these records. So I'm going to put this on, and I'm going to see if you can name this tune, okay? <laughs> all right, sounds good. <laughs> Home on the range, yes. <laughs> Greg used to have a radio show called Dig Out the Roots. When he played 78s on the show, he'd lug a machine into the studio. He calls it the Ancient Mixmaster. Although it predates the modern hip-hop DJ era by at least 30 years, it has two turntables and a microphone allowing 78 DJs like Greg, well, really just Greg, to conduct 78 mashups. This is a, uh, well, it's a DJ, portable DJ case from 1952. Uh, it was made here in Minneapolis. Uh, it's got two turntables that spin at 33, 45, and 78. It has three tone arms, which makes it pretty unique. Each turntable has its own dedicated tone arm above it, in the middle is a third tone arm that you can place on either record. So we just have um, the one source going, one tone arm. I'm just going to grab a couple other records here. So we've got a Brazilian record going, and I've just grabbed a kid's record of the Pony Express. If I remember, this one's pretty exciting. So we've just brought... And then I can do this. So what I'm doing is you can do multiple needle drops. So it's not echo necessarily because it's two different needle sources. 
So you're playing the same record with two different needles to, to get two different sounds at the same time. And so now I've just moved it over the middle tone arm. So there's two sources on the Brazilian record. Turn the Pony Express guy down a little bit. I'm now bringing up the middle tone arm. What I'm going to try to do... Whoops. So eyeball this. But this is the same concept as, as what DJs do today. Absolutely. It's got every tone arm has its own volume control. So um, I'm not certain what the original intention was. It's, uh, again, made here in Minneapolis. It's got the guy's name stamped on it. Uh, the George K. Culbertson Company. It's serial number 841. And then it's stamped March 22nd, 1952. My next stop on my time machine journey into the world of 78s was to northeast Minneapolis and the site of the first 78 RPM summit, an old, slightly dilapidated schoolhouse. Up on the second floor lives the summit's founder. My name is Jerry Brownrigg, also known as Pepper Patriot, and we're in the record lair. Well, it's just kind of a grungy, <laughs> grungy, grungy room, really, in, a, in an old school with the big heating duct running through it. A couple of years ago, on a trip to Istanbul, Jerry bought a few Turkish 78s. But some of his best finds are found closer to home. Check out this elk calling record from Waseca, Minnesota. This is from Herders Incorporated in Waseca, Minnesota. And this is a, a strange, uh, basically, elk calling record. There, give him another bugle, Glenn. He's close to us. We should see him any minute. There he is, coming right at us, hair on end. Take him. Nice shot, right through the lungs. No meat wasted. There you go. Who would have known? A lot of elk hunters in Waseca, I guess. Another thing Jerry likes to do with his turntables is tap on them like drums. While playing a record on one turntable, this is kind of a spacey sounding thing, he'll actually turn on a second turntable at the same time, crank up the volume, and start tapping on the sides of the turntable. This new come down here is, this is really my pride and joy. It has uh, this detachable speaker that's really loud on these old Newcomb uh, turntables, which I, I call schoolhouse players because these were, these were record players that were in the public schools in the 60s and 70s. Depending on what year you get, the output of the needles varies. So in this one's needle output is about twice as all my other Newcombs, and so it can get really loud. And that's not the best thing about it. <laughs> the best thing about it is that I can make it feedback, and I can and I can make all sorts of strange ambient sounds with it, and I can use it as a drum. 
This month, Vintage Music Company turns 19 years old. In recent years, there's been an uptick in vinyl record sales, those long plain 33 records. Diehard music fans and hipsters have been plucking down 15, 20 bucks or more for a record. So how are things going for Scott Holtus at Vintage? It's been a tough couple of years. I believe this is the last store in the nation that does what we do, precisely. Uh, it's the last store that deals just in 78 RPM phonograph records that I'm aware of. There are many stores that would have uh, primarily LPs and then a pile of 78s off to the corner. There may be a small store in some, in like Los Angeles or something like that, that might have a whole, a whole room devoted to, to 78s, but they're selling other things as well. We're, we're it now, I guess. Not that it means a whole heck of a lot. It's a dubious distinction, but one I'll take. Does that mean people are coming to you for records they can't get anyplace else? Not necessarily. There, there is eBay. There are many auction sites where uh, people who used to have storefronts have given up on that and have gone purely uh, digital. I don't like the computer well enough to be able to sit there and with the patience of taking a picture of a phonograph record and uh, and then listing it and then waiting for the, the auction to close, blah, 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 blah. No. I'd rather somebody come in the front door and they walk around and they go, whoa, and then uh, put a nickel in me and I'll explain what what this is, essentially, and the different time frames of music and what, you know, what are you looking for, what do you like, what do you don't like. I like talking to people. Uh, I don't like staring at a computer. How is business? Lousy. <laughs> In a word, business is lousy. It's a very, very niche market and is the economy. Uh, and I don't care what Wall Street says. The recession took a big hit, especially here. Um, so trying to find new ways to remanufacture the business in, in offering different things, perhaps, uh, like putting uh, iPod jacks in a 1948 console so that you can run your iPod through it. Little things like that. Scott hopes that this blending of the old and the new will increase sales at Vintage. He's also experimenting with ways to play internet radio stations through antique AM radios. If you'd like more information, stop by the store. He's always happy to talk to people. It's located at 38th and Cedar Avenue South in Minneapolis. That's Vintage Music Company. You've been listening to Yesterday's Revolution, the Minneapolis 78 RPM record scene. Todd Melby was the producer. Thanks to Diane Richard and Nancy Sarter for editing suggestions. Thanks to Scott Holtis of Vintage Music Company for lending me a rare copy of Rock of Ages. And to Al Howe for playing several 78s for me on his home machine. And special thanks to Kim Christensen for portraying the voices of Edison customers from 1921. Support for this program comes from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Thanks for listening. Thank you.